This morning, we are continuing on in our theme of shifting from a lens of judgment to a lens of love. And what an interesting week to be doing so. You know, most of my time in higher education has been spent studying the Bible and theology. And I've been told in different settings by different people that as a woman, I should keep my emotions in check when I speak. That I should speak a certain way about certain topics and avoid having my own stuff cloud my vision. That personal life should not interrupt biblical truth. Being a part of this community has allowed me to embrace a different way of being in the role of pastor, and I'm extremely grateful for that. I'm grateful I get to sit at a table instead of standing behind a pulpit. I'm grateful to have the freedom to intertwine all of my story, all that I'm processing, and how I've experienced God to be at work when I think of the words I'd like to share. I don't know how to put life on pause, how to put the bigger narrative of things going on on pause to give some type of purely biblical message, mostly because I don't think such a thing exists. And this week, much like other weeks when the news is overwhelming and the theme of violence and control against bodies continues, I'm angry and I'm sad, I'm anxious, and I'm tired of the constant stream of overwhelming information. I'm grieving on behalf of so many people with uteruses. If I followed the advice of some professors I've had, these emotions are not a good starting place. And yet they are the only honest and holy starting place that I can find. This morning I am hopeful, however. Sometimes I try hard to not be hopeful, it'd be a little bit more comfy, but hope is really pesky and it won't leave me alone. So I am hopeful in the both and of holding anger and knowing that God is present. In order for us to hold this hope tenderly this morning, I'd invite us to sit, uh, to try and sit in a place beyond polarizing binaries, beyond a pro-choice, pro-life divide, beyond opposing narratives and political categories. Now, I don't always know how to do this, <laughs> spoiler alert. It sounds nice and restorative, but it's extremely difficult, and the internet makes it harder to like people or to want to view them as being loved by God. After reading certain responses to the leaked Roe v. Wade potential overturn, I needed something to read about the body that would feel like good news. And so I opened up a book that we've referenced before in our purity culture talk, um, a book called Shameless by Nadia Boltz-Weber. She has a chapter called Holy Resistance, where she talks about her church's response to the Nashville Statement, a statement that was released a few years ago that stated that being gay or transgender was outside of God's plan. And in wrestling through her own response and creating an affirming Denver statement with her congregants, Nadia writes, loving your neighbor sounds nice, even easy, but unfortunately it means I should show concern not just for the nice lady who lives next door, but also for my neighbors of last resort the ones I'd prefer to not love at all. And if we take Erica's advice from our Lent series of humanizing everyone in the story, can we move toward actually loving our neighbor, or at least setting healthy and realistic boundaries for what we can manage right now? 
that's a viable option as well. Either way, can we avoid getting caught up in retribution and revenge, leaving plenty of room for emotions and movement, but letting love be the resting place? I felt it would be fitting, given that it's Mother's Day and women's bodies continue to face scrutiny and judgment, I thought it would be fitting to lean into loving and uplifting bodies for our message today. Loving bodies instead of judging bodies. And when I think about scripture that comes along with this task, I think of some verses from the book of Psalms, a collection of songs and poetry and angsty rants that we find in the Old Testament of the Bible. And a particular psalm came to mind. This is Psalm 139. It reads like a poem, so I'll read the whole thing so that we have some context for the verses that we'll be highlighting. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my pain and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol in the depths, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and night wraps itself around me, even darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Now the version of the Bible that I'm reading from titles these passages, The Inescapable God, which from a lens of love is comforting and from a lens of judgment that sounds slightly terrifying. <laughs> the Inescapable God, you can't run from God. The verses themselves are a mix of being micromanaged and being fully seen. There is beautiful imagery about the comfort of God in the darkest nights and lowest of the low. The psalmist is communicating that they feel fully known, and they don't just say, God knows me, but they expand on how thorough of a knowing this is. Through a lens of love, this full knowing speaks to the nearness of God regardless of circumstance in the full scope, from the absolute depths to the celebration of goodness, God is present. And there are a few verses that speak most directly to honoring bodies within this passage. There are also verses that get weaponized, verses that appear on billboards and t-shirts and handmade signs, verses that dismiss and criminalize people who have abortions. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. These verses along with other scriptures don't actually point to a unified biblical ethic that claims that life begins at conception, though they are weaponized to support that argument. 
In the book that I referenced earlier, Shameless, not by Nadia Boltzweber, she actually outlines the shift of evangelicals claiming life begins at birth, which was a widely accepted stance in the early 60s, to life beginning with conception, making anti-abortion rights a key piece of the growing evangelical movement, one that intertwines views on race and class, where supremacies intersect. If defining life does start at conception, it certainly doesn't stop at birth which is where many of the pro-life movement's fiercest advocates failed to stop or failed to start fiercely advocating. A bigger conversation here is about how problematic it is to weaponize scripture and how often marginalized people experience such weaponization. Something as good as being fully known and celebrating the holiness of the womb suddenly gets used as a weapon against women who, for medical reasons or not, need to end pregnancies. It's a safe bet that many of us here have experienced weaponization of scripture, whether in a direct blow at us or in an exchange we've witnessed, maybe we have been the ones wielding the weapon. It's incredibly easy to turn the Bible, even isolated passages like what we're looking at today, into justification for othering people or judging people. And what I'd like to suggest for us today is the Bible can be a companion in the figuring out of things, not a weapon, a comfort in the uncertainty, a living word that withstands all of the changes and growth we experience. There are some questions here that I'd like to pose for us as a community and individually. And the first question is, are we attempting to control people or care for people? This goes for how we interact with those we align with and those we oppose. On a macro level of watching politicians, pol police bodies, and on a micro level of how we interact with those in our circles. If we remain committed to openness, we have to move toward care instead of control. Control can be appealing. It's orderly and expected and powerful. I've actually come to believe that clinging to power and control is an overcompensation for shame. And I think that's key to what we are seeing unfold nationally. Clinging to power is an overcompensation for shame. Control may be appealing, but it isn't loving. And when I look at a helpful model for caring, not controlling, I actually think of the womb of God. When you think of the womb, it is not controlling. It can't be. Creation has its own plan. The womb nurtures and gives and does what it can to sustain. And once life is birthed, there is zero control. Embracing, embracing a loving God over a controlling God brings to mind for me a postpartum mother, bloodstained and aching. When creation was in the womb, it was somewhat protected. But now that it is in the world, there isn't a fail-safe protection. A loving God lets us be. So if we're not controlling, how do we care well? I can't control my neighbors, my friends, my family, and trying to do so seems like I'm attempting to play God. If we let people be, we have to come to terms with their resting place, accepting that people will be who they are, and I can't make them in my own image requires letting go. It requires centering any suffering taking place 
It requires humanizing everyone in the story. It requires returning to your own resting place of love. Anger, bitterness, confusion, any feeling that you need to feel is necessary, but I don't think that they are sustaining landing places for the long haul. If you find yourself in a consistent place of judgment, perhaps that is an invitation to pause and remain curious about why judging seems to be the most available response. Are we controlling or are we caring? The second question I'd like us to consider is are we categorizing people or embracing complexity? Something I've been thinking about a lot lately is that supremacies don't do nuance. Power structures thrive off of lumping people into groups and labeling them as issues. The gay issue, the mental health issue, the trans issue, women's issues. Whenever the word issue comes up in religious or non-religious settings, I think of the actual lived out lives of the people, whatever topic at hand directly impacts. A formulaic approach to humanity doesn't actually embrace people as they are, the complexity of their stories, instead placing them as whatever they are going through and making it an inconvenience that needs to be solved. Suddenly you are designated as something that needs a solution. We reduce people to particular elements of their identity instead of embracing the complexity of their full identity. So if we move toward complexity rather than categorizing or othering people, we have to widen our scope. We have to be okay with welcoming more, welcoming nuance, viewing contradiction as an invitation to deeper conversation. We widen our scope as an act of humility, acknowledging our own limitations. Power will pretend that limitations don't exist but knowing that I have them actually brings me closer to community, closer to people who can help me see what I can't see, closer to people who better understand the nuances, closer to people who can ho hold my hope and redirect me to love. A humbling widening of perspective has shown me that I can't decide what life is for other people. The small snippet of scripture we looked at shows life as being fearfully and wonderfully made, intricately designed, fully known. And when I speak of life, abundant and sacred, I speak from my experiences and my hope for what could be true. When I think of the creation of life, I hold the vast narratives of my community, often stories of pain and grief. I know the rise of hope that comes with feeling flickers of life in your womb, the fluttering heartbeat on a monitor so small you can't hear it yet, you simply watch its pulse. And sacred life is in the unsupported parent, the abuse survivor, the woman who could bleed out, the women of color whose care and labor and delivery and postpartum is abysmal, Sacred life is in all who want autonomy for their own bodies. I would never want to assume that my understandings of the beginnings of life applies or feels true to all people in all situations. I would never want to project my understanding as rule and given and lawmaking foundation that should be blindly accepted, that ignores nuance. 
defining life, understanding God, figuring out truth, where I arrive is not the arrival place for everyone, for all people. An embrace of complexity requires us to decenter certainty. And I'd like to suggest for us here that we refuse to pit suffering against suffering. People who are unhoused or deemed illegal or incarcerated or shoved to the margins of a society that prioritizes power face trauma and harm. And women who go through pregnancy loss, the loss of glimmers of life, whether long tour or not, face trauma and harm. We don't put one form of suffering or loss above another. We grieve it all in community. We widen our scope. It's interesting to me that the psalmist in the passage we read compares the womb to the depths of the earth. There is a deep unknowing. Unknowing seems like a holy and honest starting place. And even in our not knowing, we can still remain tethered to sources of hope. The Bible may not be a starting place or even a source of answers for all of us, but we can see the authors asking questions and feeling feelings that we are feeling and asking. And in Psalm 139, I hear the psalmist expressing something I long to feel. No matter where I am at on this embodied journey with God, God, you are with me. The presence of God isn't conditional on life circumstance or the way the story unfolds. The decisions we make or don't make, God is in the ways we prioritize our care and the care of those around us. God is in the depths and in the womb, in the rising up and laying down, at the wings of morning and at the farthest points of the sea. If we are fearfully and wonderfully made, God is a part of all of the fearful and wonderful pieces of our stories. We cannot look through a lens of love and come to the conclusion that we should be controlling bodies. And I am grateful for the bold voices that continue to demand that we check our lenses, that those in power check their lenses. I am grateful for those who lead the way in grieving well and pressing for justice. And so on a day that typically celebrates birthing bodies, could we be drawn toward honoring all bodies? Bodies that deserve autonomy and adequate care. Bodies that are messy and healing. Bodies that are chronically ill and disabled. Bodies that are diminished and bodies that are magnified. If the lens is love and not judgment, there will always be a complicated road ahead. But a realistic question that comes to me here is can love be my landing place? Maybe it can, maybe for some of us not quite yet. Maybe you need to pitch a tent on anxiety or fear or hopelessness first. But can we refuse to get caught in a pattern of revenge and judgment? And can we let our community collect us, looking to Jesus and scripture as companions along the way? Can our landing place be love? I'd like to offer us uh, here a prayer practice as we think about what this means to be celebrating bodies and the own feelings you may be carrying within your body right now. So this is a body scan exercise, uh, body prayer. So if you wanna get comfortable in your seat, 
Maybe plant your feet on the ground so you can feel a little bit steadier. I find it helpful to close my eyes while I'm doing this. Um, so if you want to close your eyes, I'd invite you to do that as well. Whatever helps you feel settled. And if this guided meditation doesn't feel helpful right now, you can use this space to listen and to breathe and be still. I don't think we got enough moments in our life to just be still and breathe. So would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you are a God that enters in, that you know the fullness of our stories and what we carry. You know our embodied experiences, and you hold them with us. You walk through the pain. You are present regardless of circumstance. And so now we scan over our bodies and we notice our breathing, the rhythm of breath. Starting at the top of our head, our neck, and our shoulders. I'd invite you to consider how are you feeling? Are you noticing any tension or pain in your head, neck, and shoulders? Rather than judging the source of the pain, can you send feelings of self-compassion to your body? As you continue to breathe, notice your arms. Maybe wiggle them around a little bit. How are they feeling? What have you been carrying lately? What could you lay down? And as you continue to scan your body, notice your abdomen, your gut. Is there any discomfort or tension here? A reminder again to not judge where or why you may be feeling pain, but to send love wherever the discomfort lives. Now draw your attention down to your legs and your feet. How are they feeling? Think through the places that you have walked or moved 
in the past week. I invite you to take a moment to press your heels into the ground. What do you need to feel grounded this week? And as you scan over your whole body, what emotions are rising up? Can you name how you are feeling right now? Jesus, we invite you into the wrestling, into the figuring out of things, into the feeling, all of the emotions we need to feel. God, would you redirect us toward love? And may we do that work in community. Would there be people to hold our hope until we, we are ready to be hopeful? People to be angry alongside people to experience doubt with us. God, in the complexity of who we are, in the complexity of who you are, would you help us to better understand nuance, breaking down the small things, instead of rushing to judgment, to opposing, to setting apart. Would you draw us into community? And may we have places that feel restful and renewing, hopeful and good. Amen.